So I, I've said this before, but I, I love, I, I don't listen to the radio anymore, hardly ever. Um, the only thing I ever listen to is my Audible app. Um, and I love to listen to books, uh, audio books. I've got over 522 of them currently that I've downloaded and listened to and, uh, paid for. And I love, I love, I love listening to, uh, a book. I mean, I love watching movies, um, but movies miss out on some of the internal dialogue that happens in a book, right? Those of you that listen or read, you know what I'm talking about, right? We love movies. Uh, those of you that watch TV love movies. You love, we love things that show the external conflict between people, right? Somebody once said a story without a conflict is just a textbook, right? If you're going to have a good story, you've got to have conflict, right? So pick your favorite TV show, pick your favorite movie, right? You're bound to find some kind of external conflict, whether it's between families or enemies, right? Or whether it's rival sports teams, there's, there's conflict that tends to sell the story. That's a common conflict that we can all appreciate, but it's the internal conflict of the characters of stories that I appreciate, right? One of my favorite characters that I listen to is a man named Jack Reacher. Anybody familiar with that character, right? You know, he's the guy's guy, you know, that we want to be him. But the thing about Jack Reacher in his books is he has very little internal conflict. He's pretty plain, pretty vanilla, right? Most of his stories about external conflict, but there's other characters that I listen to, like a man that one of the characters of the books I listen to is a man called Agent Zero, right? And he has a ton of internal conflict because he's a father, he's also a special operative, so he has to keep secrets. And part of the joy of that book is listening to the internal dialogue of his struggle between what he's doing and who he is. My guess is is that every person in this room understands an internal dialogue of conflict that you have with your inner self. Does anybody track with that? Anybody track with that conversation of your fears, your hopes, your angers, your dreams, your struggles, right? An internal conflict is, I think, something that most of us can relate to. This is a, this is a, a definition that I found uh, about conflict. It says a conflict is a clash, right, that arises out of a difference in thought process, attitudes, a difference in understanding, interest, requirements, and even understanding. They say that twice in the definition, right? A clash between these differences of opinions and thoughts and attitudes and interests, right, these internal struggles that play out in our mind when it comes to who we are and what we do. And here's the thing about internal struggles. Most of the people that we know don't know that we're having them. Because very few of us are the comfortable enough or trust enough people that we're willing to share our internal struggles, right? That's, that's a pretty special struggle to share. We may, listen, I will share with you my internal struggle all day long about trying to lose weight, right? That's an internal conversation I have constantly. I mean, I got on the, I got on the scale this morning and I wanted to throw the scale through the, through the wall. Anybody ever feel that, right? Yeah, that was an internal struggle about whether I should ask for forgiveness or it was righteous anger. I don't know, right? But you, uh, those kind of struggles we will share. But there are deeper, darker internal struggles that we have that we're not so comfortable sharing. And one of the things I love about Scripture, especially in the Old Testament as we go through the story, is we get to see some of these struggles play out. 
So as we pick up the story in Genesis 33 from last week when Joe preached about, about Jacob wrestling with God. And if you didn't listen, man, I would encourage you to do so. It's one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. And I think Joe did a magnificent job walking through that relationship between Jacob and this man he wrestles with all night long. But as we pick up the story in Genesis 33, Jacob is getting ready, ready to do one of the great, is, is getting ready to handle one of the greatest fears of his life. His brother Esau, who he has not talked to in 20 years. You remember Esau, the older brother who Jacob stole the birthright from by tricking his dad to give him the blessing. That Esau who told Jacob, if I see you again, I'll kill you. That Esau, Jacob is ready to meet him again after 20 years. And Esau has 400 men coming with him. And that's where we pick up the story. And as we go through these chapters, and I'm going to cover going to cover three chapters today, Genesis 33, 34, and 35, and we're going to do it in 30 minutes. Anybody think that's possible? That's what I thought, right? But before I do it, I wanted to share with you there, the, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game issued an advisory to hikers, hunters, and out, just fishermen and outdoorsmen recently. There's been an increase. This is a true story. This has been an increase in Grizzly bear and human conflict in Alaska. I don't know if you've seen these things that are playing out, but the Alaska Department of Fish and Game issued an advisory and they told these people that are out there, you need to start paying attention, right? And you need to start being aware of the grizzly bears in your area because the conflicts have been on the rise. So here's what the advisory suggested. It suggested to anybody outside in Alaska that if you're out, you should wear little bells on your on your clothes to make noise so you don't startle a grizzly bear. Makes sense, right? I'm not a grizzly bear, but don't startle this bear either, right? <laughs> and the other thing it suggested was bring pepper spray with you in case there is a conflict. They also said you should start being aware of grizzly bear activity. And one of the best ways to notice activity of a grizzly bear is to look for fresh manure. And they told them in the advisory, know the difference between black bear manure and grizzly bear manure. And they said in the advisory, you can tell the difference because when you find a black bear manure pile, it's smaller and it will contain a lot of berries and squirrel fur. And when you come across the grizzly bear manure pile, it will be larger and it will be full of tiny bells and smell like pepper spray. <laughs> That's how you tell a joke. And here's the crazy thing. That's a true advisory. I didn't even have to make it up, right? I, I thought it was one of the funniest things I've ever read. I mean, they actually published that. I'm like... That's pretty cold-hearted, man. But <laughs> conflicts, right? Conflicts, internal conflicts. And so there, there are several of them. Let's, let's, let me read a couple passages. Galatians 5. See if you can't relate to this. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the, spirit's what con the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Anybody relate to that struggle? Right? Listen, if you're a believer in here, a follower of Jesus online, can I hear you say amen? amen. 
Here's what the Bible says. This is your living condition. You have a sinful nature and your sinful nature wants to sin. Tracking? You have the Holy Spirit who is the very presence of God in your life and he never wants to sin and he always wants to honor God. Those two natures live side by side in every believer in Jesus Christ. You get that? Yes or no? And guess what? Your sinful nature wants to consume the spirit so it never wins an argument and the spirit wants to consume the sinful nature so it never wins an argument and guess who's stuck in the middle we are anybody struggle with that conflict paul says it this way this might be more more uh trackable for us paul says i do not understand what i do anybody he says this for what i want to do i don't do But what I hate, I do. Anybody? Listen, this is Sunday morning. After a Saturday night, I guarantee the churches across America are full of people that understand this statement, right? But they won't come until 1130. This is the good crowd, okay? (laughs) They they got to sleep in, right? Right? He goes on to say this. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that's in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. He says, for what I do isn't the good that I want to do. No, he says, this is the Apostle Paul, okay? He says, no, the evil I do not want to do, this is the thing I keep on doing. Does anybody track with that? Right? Those are the kind of internal conflicts that I'm talking about. And I think Jacob's story in Genesis 33 and 34 and 35 allow us to see it. Because I believe this with all my heart. And I believe that biblically this is true. The greatest fight we will all fight will always be the fight with ourselves. Because it is a never-ending fight between good and evil. It is a never-ending fight between right and wrong. And every person in this room, I don't care how old or young you are, and every person online understands those conflicts. I think there are three in this story. Here's the first one. The conflict between old versus new. Now, I don't like to shop for clothes. Anybody else? I hate it. So is this the clothes shopping group? You like to, how many of you like shopping for clothes? Wow. Right. You should have seen the Saturday night crowd based upon their outfits. I agreed with them. They hate shopping, right? (laughs) But I, I don't like it. Here's what I do like though. I like having shirts that I like that I've owned for several years and I wear them all the time. Oh, right. The problem is I'm pretty sure that I could go to the thrift store right now and find some of my favorite shirts there that my wife has taken behind my back, right? Because in her mind, there's always a battle between old versus new, right? And we're 33 years in, and no longer does she ever have to say anything about the shirt. She just looks at me like, seriously, you're going to wear that shirt again, right? Because I like it. We understand the battle of old versus new. But in Jacob's story, as we read last week, when Jacob wrestles with God, this man, God incarnate, right? When he comes to him, here's what ultimately took place was Jacob would not let go until the man blessed him. And when the man asked him his name, he said, my name is Jacob. And the man, the form of God incarnate said to him, you are no longer Jacob, you are now what? Israel. 
Jacob, deceiver, heel grabber, is now called he who wrestles with God. What a great name change, right? To go from being called a liar to being called one who will wrestle with God. And here's the crazy thing. From Genesis 32 to Genesis 50, Jacob is called Israel 23 times. But he's called Jacob 45 more times. Do you think it's any coincidence that a man whose name got changed by God in Genesis 32 is called his old name 45 times? That man struggles with his new name. And here's how I know it. Because as soon as Jacob meets Esau, remember, this isn't like it is today. They went 20 years without talking. And the last thing that Esau said was, I'm going to kill you. And he comes to him, Esau does, with 400 men. Jacob's pretty sure he's going to die. And when Esau shows up with his 400 men, what does he do? In Genesis 33, listen, you can read Genesis 33 and 34 and 35. Esau embraces his brother, kisses him on the neck, and accepts him and reconciles with him and tells him he loves him. What an amazing thing, right? 20-year feud over just like that. And you know what Jacob does? You know what Israel, the man who wrestles with God, does the very first thing? If you finish the story in Genesis 33, you see this play out. Esau says, come on. Let's put our families together and let's head home. And Jacob says, listen, my family's large. We got a lot of little ones and we got a lot of old ones. And we got a lot of cattle, so let us take our time and we'll meet you there. Esau says, fine. And you know what Jacob did? You know what Israel did? Israel lied to his brother the very first thing. Because he went the opposite direction and he never followed Esau home. And he went so far and he went so long, he finally stopped and built a house and never returned to Esau. Do you think that's a man who struggles with old versus new? Yes or no? Yeah. How do you go from being called a liar to being one who wrestles with God and the first thing you do with your new name is soil it by being a liar? My guess is that most of you understand that struggle. Let me let me read this to you and tell me if you don't struggle with this. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, those of you that are in Christ in here online, say amen. Amen. Right? So this is you. This is me. If you're in Christ, everybody read it with me. He is a new. Everybody say new. This ain't thrift store new. This isn't somebody worked for 10 years. You picked it up yesterday and went, I got a new shirt. It's not that kind of new. This is brand new. Nobody's ever driven it off the showroom floor. It's got 0.00 miles on it. That's what this word means. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And it says the what? Old has. Now tell me, church, has anybody in here ever struggled between old and new? Right? How many of you struggle to see yourself as a new creation because you behave like the old you? Anybody? Listen, that's a struggle that everybody relates to. Because that's our struggle. We're new creation in Christ. Israel or Jacob, you've got a new name. But I'm going to lie to my brother. You've got a new name. Cord, you're a new creation. But I lived an old way. Because I don't know what I'm doing. Because the thing I hate, I'm doing. The thing I'm supposed to do, I don't do. And God says, you're a new creation. I don't know about you, but that's an internal conflict for me. 
I struggle with that. And here's what Paul says in Philippians 3. He says this, not that I have already obtained it or have already been made complete, perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. He says, brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of. I haven't gotten there yet. Anybody relate to that? We're not there yet. But look what Paul says he does in his role as a new creation. Paul who said, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing the thing I hate. I'm not doing the thing I love. Paul says, here's what I do. The one thing I do is I forget what is behind. Listen, you want to win the battle of old versus new? You're going to have to start forgetting what's behind. You're going to have to stop forgetting, start forgetting yesterday. You're going to have to start forgetting all the yesterdays that you want to cling to. The only way to live in the newness that we have, the newness of life, is we've got to learn to forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. I'm 59 years old. I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Energy Bus by John Gordon, but you should. Because here's what you learn in The Energy Bus, is there's energy vampires. They want to suck the life out of those on the bus. And here's the greatest energy vampire we have in our internal struggles of old versus new. We won't let go of things that are behind. I mean, think about it. How many of your lives are shaped every day in the present by stuff you can't let go of? It's impossible to live in the new when you can't forget what's behind. And so Paul says, if I'm a new creation, I better forget what's behind and I better strain to what's ahead. He said it this way in Ephesians 4 verse 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. In the Greek, that word put off is like taking off your shirt and put, taking off your shirt and throwing it in the laundry. Listen, is taking off yourself that easy church? Yes or no? Is it that easy to get rid of the old Jew? Yes or no? No. That dirty thing wants to hang on forever, doesn't it? It just doesn't want to go away. Paul says, put it off. Why? Because it's being corrupted by its deceitful desires. In the Greek, that's the word lust. Your old nature's being corrupted. You need to be made new in the attitude of your mind, right? And to put on the new self created to be like God into righteousness and holiness. Listen, there's something that God wants us to do as a new you. And in the eternal conflict of old versus new, listen, you're a new creation. The old is gone. So it's time to forget what's behind and press on to what's ahead. Somebody say amen, right? How about the second conflict? This is, this is a big one. You may not relate to the conflict of old versus new. I guarantee you relate to the conflict of lust versus love, right? Because when you get to chapter 34 of Jacob's story, so Jacob didn't fall, follow Esau. And God told Esau, or God told Jacob, go find your family. Go get back with your relatives. He did. They reconciled. Esau said, come on. And Jacob went, I'm going to lie and I'm going to go this way. So in his new home, away from family, his daughter Dinah in chapter 34 goes out into the hillside, in the countryside, to hang with the girls. And while she's out there, Genesis 34 tells the story of a young girl that gets raped by a man named Shechem. Shechem is a local boy whose daddy's a big wig. And he sees Dinah, who's beautiful. And the Bible says he takes her and he violates her. And then he goes to his daddy and says, I love her. Would you please get her to be my wife? It's a jacked up story. Because what you're going to find in this story is this conflict between lust and love. So Shechem lusted 
for this girl. And he acted in his lust toward this girl. And he violates her. And then he says, but I love her. As a matter of fact, Moses uses the same word, cling. Cling, the Bible says a man will leave his father and mother and cling or cleave to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Moses uses that word to describe Shechem's feelings for the young girl that he had just raped. Do you think he got the order wrong? Probably. Because we all battle with this thing of lust versus love. Right? We all do. And here's why. Lust, in the Greek, epithymos or epithymia, right, is two words. Epa, which sort of gives the indication and the meaning that this is something I'm focused on. Right? It actually means upon, so it's my focus. Thymos actually in the Greek means anger, wrath. It, the literal word means to breathe violently, right? So lust is this desire, this consuming desire that I focus on. It's so consuming. It's like almost like wrath and anger. It will consume what's ever in front of it. Love, on the other hand, is about serving other people because the Bible says love considers others more important than themselves. Amen. No greater love has this than one lay down his life for his friends. Lust is about what I want. Love is about what you need. You see the difference? And my guess is every person in here struggles with their evil desires. And here's part of the reason why. First John 2 says this. The Bible says for everything. Everybody say everything. Right? Listen to the words. For everything in this world, the cravings or the lust of sinful man, right? The lust of that man or woman's eyes and the boasting or the lust of what he has and does not have comes not from the Father, but from the world. Do you realize that everything in this world speaks to mankind's lust? Everything, the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the lust of my heart, all are being sold to me in the world. For everything in the world, everything in the world is about fulfilling the lust of your heart and mine. It's on a constant sales trip. Everything out there is pitching you. And here's what happens. James explains the process so maybe you and I can relate. He says, when you're tempted by the lust of the world, no one should say it's God that's doing the tempting. Why? Because God can't be tempted by evil. The Holy Spirit in you never wants to go, yes, I want that 14th beer. Yes, I want to watch that extra 30 minutes of porn. Yes, I want to push all my chips into the table and gamble away my paycheck. Yes, I want to take that last line of cocaine. Yes, no, the Holy Spirit never wants that. But your sinful desire wants all of that. And the Bible says, for God isn't tempted by evil, nor does he tempt you with it. But guess what happens? Here's the way it works in you and me. For everyone is tempted when by his own lust, epithymia, right? We are tempted when our own lust are dragged away and enticed. Because what happens is the world in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of what our heart wants, the world drags us out and makes its sales pitch to us. The Bible says we are enticed and drug away. I don't know if you've, and if you're one of these people, listen, I love you. 
We're praying for you to receive Jesus. But have you ever talked to these people that sell timeshares? Right? And if you're one of those people, listen, I'm sorry. I love you. But you you need a better job, okay? Or maybe you need to come to work for us because, boy, you can sell people. I I have never been afraid of anybody except somebody that sold me a timeshare. You know, we when we were young or poor, we would come to Orlando to take our kids to to Disney. And the way we got to do it was we would sign up for a, you know, for our presentation, say no, and then we'd get our free tickets, right? We did that one time and never did it again, okay? Because I almost signed and bought a timeshare. That's how good they were, right? And And... You talk about being enticed and drug away. That's what I felt like. Like, and here's the thing. That's what the world does to every person in this room and every person online. The world makes its sales pitch to our evil desires. And look what happens, right? After that desire has conceived, right? That desire then gives birth to what? Sin. You see, our lust, our lust want to hear the sales pitch. Every person's evil desire wants to hear the sales pitch. And eventually the sales pitch will conceive. It will plant its seed in us. And that will eventually give birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? Death. You see, do you have any idea how many marriages have been destroyed by just someone being enticed to hear the sales pitch of this world? It won't be a big deal. I'll just sit here at the bar and have a drink with this woman. I'm married. It's not a big deal. It won't be a problem. I'll just, I'll just sit here and have a drink with her. It won't be a big deal. The problem is it isn't the woman speaking. It's the world giving you a sales pitch. And do you know what happens when that kind of sales pitch conceives and gives birth to sin? Eventually, those people end up in divorce court and families suffer. It happens when it comes to an addiction. It happens when it comes to you fill in the blanks. But what happens is, is people get enticed because they're evil desires. Listen, every, don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Every person in here has evil desires. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you're married to a person that has evil desires. Right? Just take a second look at the person you're married to and go, what? You have evil desires? Yes, they do. Right? The children you're raising, they have evil desires. And guess what? They live in the same world you do in the world. And everything in it is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And every person in here has internal conflict between lust and love. Because Jesus said, no greater love has this than one laid down his life for a friend. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. That you have love, not lust, love for one another. It's a constant internal conflict. And listen to what Ephesians 4 says. 4 says this about lust. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Put off your old self, right? Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Guess what word that is in the Greek? Epithymia, epithymos, lust. Guess what's happening? You're being corrupted. The older we get and the longer we live, the more corrupted we become by evil desires. It's just the way it is. It's like leaving food out on the counter. You leave it out there long enough, it's going to rot. The longer we stay in this body, we're going to rot. Because it's being corrupted every day. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. He says that each of us, so put your name in here, right? So cord, you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, right? Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. That's what we should be doing. You want to win the battle of lust versus love? Control your body. And don't act like a heathen that's controlled by his sinful desires. Listen, when I was young and judgmental, 
I thought all those people who, who claimed to be Christians, who gave them some, themselves over to heathen behavior, weren't Christians at all. And I preached them straight to hell. The problem was, I was the same person doing it. Now that I'm 59, here's what I know about a lot of people that love Jesus. They're making really stupid decisions on a day-to-day basis. I said, if you love Jesus, control your body. Quit turning it over to all the heathen behavior, behavior that your desires want. Don't give yourself away to all the alcohol and all the drugs and all the sex and all the porn and all the lying and all the cheating. We have got to learn how to control our bodies in a way that presents them to God as holy and righteous. Somebody say amen. amen. Right? Because here's what's at stake. Paul says in 2 Timothy, flee evil desires of youth. Everybody said the word flee. Don't give me this, don't give me this speech. I can handle it. No, you can't. Get away. That word flee, I looked it up in the Greek. You know what it means? Run like your hair's on fire. Listen, if you struggle with alcohol, stay out of bars. If you struggle with lusting after women, right? Stay off of websites. Get rid of TikTok, right? It doesn't take a lot. To avoid these kind of things, but you should flee these desires and you should pursue, read it with me church, righteousness, faith, love, and peace along, along with those who call on the Lord out of the pure heart. Stop doing it alone. We should be doing this together. Cause listen, we're not, we're not kidding anybody. You're not kidding me. I'm not kidding you. We all got this problem. I struggle with evil desires just like every one of you do. And every one of you online. This should be a place that we do this together. Right? But we should also be people that give that up and start pursuing faith, righteousness, and peace together. Right? And here's what Peter said. This was the verse that sort of shook me when I read it this week to remind me. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. Anybody ever think that the longer we live in this stupid planet, on this, in this, in this country, that this, I just don't fit in here. I don't belong. Anybody feel that way? Right? Listen, here's why. You're an alien and stranger. This ain't your home. I mean, I like going to visit my buddy Jason. He's my best friend in the world. I love going and seeing him. But about day three, I realized that ain't my home. And I feel like a, I feel like a, I feel like an outsider. Right? He said, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, do what? Abstain from your lust. Why? Because they're warring against your what? They're warring against your what? Listen, they don't just want your body. They don't just want your marriage. They don't just want your family and your money. They don't want all that. They want your soul. Those evil desires aren't as, aren't as innocent as you think they are. Those evil desires that you're giving yourselves over to when you shouldn't be, when I shouldn't be, they're not playing around. They want your soul. They want to get you at your core. So, man, in that battle of lust versus love, let's start doing this together. Let's start pursuing the right things. Amen, church? And here's the last one. Sacrifice versus obedience. So in Genesis 35, here's what the writer says. For for a multitude of Days, God has been trying to get Jacob to go to Bethel. In Genesis 28, Genesis 31, he tells him to go to Bethel. He just won't go. Finally, in Genesis 35, God says to Jacob, go to Bethel, settle there. He says, I want you to go there and build an altar, right? I want you to build an altar to the God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. 
Jacob goes back to his household and tells his family this. Get rid of your foreign gods, right, that you've got with you. Purify yourself and change your clothes. And then come and let's go to Bethel and I'm going to build an altar to God. The God who heard me in the days of my distress. So he tells them, let's go to Bethel. That's what they do. But as you read Jacob's story, here's what you're going to find out. Jacob, who becomes Israel, struggles with this sacrifice first obedience thing for their entire lives. So I, I remember being a teenager. Anybody here remember being a teenager? Right? I don't know about you, but I wasn't a very, I, I was a great teenager. I just wasn't a very good, I wasn't a very good son at the time. Anybody? I knew how to be a teenager really good. I didn't know how to do it well and be an obedient son. Anybody tracking? So when my dad said your curfew after a date's 10 o'clock, guess what I did? I showed up at 11, right? And here was the thing. My dad wasn't a very nice guy. He was sort of mean and I was scared of him. And so I came home an hour late and the next morning I got up and it was Sunday morning and we didn't go to church, right? So I got up that morning and I thought to myself, well, since I wasn't obedient, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to change the oil in the car. So I took dad's car and I changed his oil, changed his filter. And then I took his car and I washed it and I waxed it. And you know why I did all that? Because I didn't want to be obedient. So I made a sacrifice. See the difference, right? You do something wrong. You bring home flowers and you say, honey, I'm sorry. Right? Because you didn't want to be obedient, you needed to be sorry. You needed to make a sacrifice. Tracking with me? Right? You tell your kids not to do something, they do it anyway, and then they try to make up for it, right? By making your breakfast in bed and burning your pancakes and toast, right? You know, right? You know what I'm saying? You see, we all understand the idea of obedience and sacrifice, right? And it's probably because part of the reason is we believe these kind of stupid sayings, right? It's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission, right? We say those kind of things. Why? And here's why. Because obedience always requires sacrifice. But you can sacrifice without ever being obedient. It's like George Costanza said when you watch Seinfeld. Eventually, George got tired of people saying they were sorry. And eventually, he said to them, you can put your sorries in a sack. No, no Seinfeld fans here? I'm disappointed in you, church. I'm really hurt, right? Put your sorry. And when people wrong me, I don't want to hear I'm sorry. I don't care. I don't need your sorry. It doesn't mean anything to me. One of the characters I listen to all the time in one of my novels, right? When he apologizes, his whole group that he leads says the same thing. Don't be sorry. Be better. Don't be sorry. Be better. That's how I feel, right? Listen, that's how God feels. I just want to read this verse to you from 1 Samuel 15, 22. Because I, listen, Tomoka is the kind of church you can sacrifice forever without being obedient. You can serve in children's ministry. You can serve in the parking lot. You can wear a yellow vest in 100 degree weather. And you can work with the people in the parking lot. You can go down to down to student ministry and never wear a yellow vest. But you're going to hate it. But good luck down there, right? You can do that. You can go on a mission trip. You can go on a mission trip around. You can go on a mission trip around here every month. You can make all kinds of sacrifices. You can come and support Ethiopia and support a million dollar fundraiser for Africa. And you can go to the movie Sound for Freedom. And you can make all kinds of sacrifices. And you can do all of it here at Tomoka without ever being obedient to God. It's easy, right? But here's what God said about sacrifice and obedience. He says in 1 Samuel 15, 22, these words. Bring that screen up. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does in obeying the voice of the Lord? And here was his answer. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. See, whether it's old versus new or lust versus love, it always boils down to the same thing. Obedience or sacrifice. 
So in the study of the military, I don't know anything about the military. I never spent a day in the military. My dad was in the military, but he never talked about it. So I don't know, didn't know much about it. But I read about it a lot. And one of the things I've learned in reading it is I learned about the Navy SEALs. And I don't know a Navy SEAL, but I can't imagine what that man or that person must be like. Because what they have to go through to become a Navy SEAL is beyond comprehension. They had six-month training out of Coronado, California, and it's broken up into stages. There's an orientation process, and then eventually there's a three-phase training for Navy SEALs, or BUDS training, as they call it. And in the first phase, it's an eight-week training. It's an endurance training. A lot of them will say it's the hardest of all the phases. And the eight-week phase ends in the eighth week and is known affectionately as Hell Week. And so in the eighth week, in that final week of phase one of SEAL training, over 75% of those trainees that drop out, drop out during Hell Week. And one of the things that happens during Hell Week is the commanding officer at any time during Hell Week can yell these three words, wet and sandy. And the minute the commanding officer yells the phrase wet and sandy, the trainee will drop whatever they're doing, whether it's in the bed at two in the morning, sitting at chow, right? Whether they're down on the beach training for an exercise, if you hear the words wet and sandy, they drop whatever they're doing. They run into the ice cold Pacific Ocean and they soak themselves. They come back out and they roll in the sand to become wet and sandy. And when they're done, they go back to whatever it was they were doing. And they do it wet and sandy. If they're sleeping, they go back to bed. If they're eating, they go back to eat. If they're, if they're in a training exercise, they go back to that. And that happens all week long. And here's what one trainee wrote about that wet and sandy moment. He said, the practice of getting wet and sandy not only requires toughness, it requires submission. SEAL candidates do not choose the moment that they rush into the cold water and then roll into the sand. They must submit whenever they are given the command. Choosing your moment may involve sacrifice, but submitting your moment to the one that's in authority, that requires obedience. A seal must always put the mission above himself. That's also what a Christian should do. Because Jesus said, whoever wishes to save their own life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. At the end of the day, it's always about obedience versus sacrifice. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're online. You've never made the step to obey your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by making him the Lord of your life. If that's you online, there's a button. Just push it. I have decided it'll take you to a form. You fill it out. Pastor John will be in touch with you. If you're here... There'll be people up front that will talk with you, answer your questions. If you need a more private setting where you have some deeper questions outside this worship center and down to the right, uh, there's a room down there that we've got some wonderful folks from our counseling ministry in that would love to speak to you as well. So whether it's old versus new, whether it's lust versus love, it doesn't matter. It's all about, are we going to obey? Are we going to sacrifice? Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for this church and I'm grateful for the way in which you work in the lives of every person. You never waste a thing. But Lord, as we learn today with all those internal conflicts, you have one desire.
That's to see our heart turn towards you. So God, I pray today for the work of the Holy Spirit in these people's lives, in my life. Like, Lord, that as these conflicts arise, that I won't live isolated. I'll walk together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And at the end of the day, Lord, I'll learn to practice what Jesus said. To lay down my life so that I can save it. I pray that for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.